Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focused Compounding on Air with my co-founder, Mr. Jeffrey Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? Going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else. Today is Wednesday, March 25th. This is the first time you're tuning in with us. Uh, be sure to hit that subscribe button, uh, thumbs this video up, follow along with all the content that we put out into the world. And then, of course, if you're listening on the podcast side of things, a rating and review goes a very long way for us. And we're definitely very appreciative of that. Helps keep the lights on. Uh, but today, like I said, Wednesday, there wasn't too much action in the markets. I felt like uh, they weren't even on. Jeff, it's kind of crazy world. When a you know a one percent or two percent up or down is just a sleepy day, I think we're we're becoming so accustomed to you know massive moves or limit ups or limit downs. Isn't that pretty crazy? Mm -hmm. And I guess that if anything, it makes the case for where we say um, you know day to day movements don't really matter because you know everything that comes out during the day and then you finish up a percent and then it's just on to the next one. How was your day today? Very good, very good. How was your day? It was great. So I have to, before we jump into this, I do have to get your comment on something. Okay. There were some individuals that were kind of, there was a lot of pushback on your comment that we do not need gyms for two years, Jeff. And a lot of people, <laughs> I think, were offended by that. So I, I was just curious to see if we get a comment from you on that topic. That we don't need gyms for two years. Um, yeah, I think you're a monster, actually. And I didn't push I didn't push hard on that. And then I, when I was listening to it, I was like, why didn't I say anything about this? Yes, Jeff. Two years? Are you kidding me? I told you I was going crazy just working out and doing push-ups in my apartment. And you, I mean, two years? <laughs> yeah, I said that you didn't need gyms or bars for two years. Bars? Um, people, bars. In a recession? People can drink and That's exactly uh, what we need. Are you kidding me? People can drink and exercise without doing it together in a small space. In a small space. So yeah. like what? Doing some well, I mean, X or I mean what? Well, for, if the, if gyms were outside, I mean we don't know a lot about this virus, but probably if you just put gyms outside, it would be very a lot safer. Because most kinds of viruses like this don't survive very long at all outside, but do survive a very long time inside. So, went to the Venice Beach Boardwalk gym. Yeah. Outside. There you go. I, I've never been there, but I've seen it in all the movies. I'd like to go. <laughs> it's actually so there's actually a gym that I do go to where they have an indoor section and then they have an outdoor one as well. Mm -hmm. So whenever it's nice outside, it's I personally enjoy working out outside because then you get the you get the sun, get that vitamin D. So all right, let's jump into it. So in today's email that was sent out, if you want to get access to this, I did tweet it out. Here is my Twitter at focused compound. You can scroll down. I am tweeting it out every single day. And then of course in the email what comes with it is a few links of stuff that I thought was interesting throughout the day. And then of course an investing topic from Jeff uh, that somebody had emailed in and then it's his answer to the question. To be able to ask him questions. Jeff, have you been getting a lot of emails, hopefully? <laughs> yeah, I've been getting a lot of emails. <laughs> it's been a yeah, it's been a pretty intense. So, but we want more emails. So keep well, sending me emails. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it was like, I don't know, midnight last night. And then so every time that I get these emails that I send out, it's all stuff that Jeff sends me throughout the week. And in the, in the subject, it's always for your backlog, for your backlog, for your backlog. And I'm just kind of curious about your sleeping schedule because lately I've been getting these things at like midnight, twelve thirty, one in the morning, and I'm just kind of curious, like what time? What what time are you going to bed, Jeff? I'm I'm kind of concerned. <laughs> That's about the middle of my day, uh, midnight or so, probably. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Wait, what is your, what is your schedule now? We're not next to each other, so I, I don't. <laughs> before I was making sure you're 
awake by, you know, I was coming over at like 7.30. So w- what's going on? Yeah, well, I mean, when we first met, if you remember, we would uh, meet at a restaurant where I would have lunch. Uh, and that would be the beginning of my day. So hard, I would, hard to forget that. Yep, I remember. Yeah, yeah so. <laughs> meet at about six o'clock at night. And Yeah, so, no, I, I usually go to sleep sometime, I don't know, around sunrise probably. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. So if you want to mimic <laughs> Jeff, uh, there you go. If people want to email you, maybe they, their best chance to get a quick response is at like 4 a.m. or something like that. People email from all around the world. So I actually get emails throughout the um, throughout the day, night, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Well, I'm drooling on my pillow at that time. So definitely <laughs> do not email me. But if you want a chance to ask Jeff a question, there's a link right here. Ask Jeff a question. And then that will pull up his email and you can send it to him. Um, but yeah, some uh, topics of the day that that was interesting. Of course, everything going on with stimulus is still on everybody's minds. Uh, we have the jobs number coming out tomorrow, which is going to be interesting. Um, one thing that thought was interesting, Jeff, Seth Klarman, he hasn't had his fund open in years, and mm-hmm. he is opening up his fund for new investment because he's seeing a lot of obviously opportunities in the United States. I think I don't know the year. So let's see, since yeah, 2011, he is uh, asking for more capital from investors. So I thought that was pretty interesting, um, if that tells you, I guess, where everything is. And then that, I don't have an actual article on this, but I heard Lai Lu as well was moving a lot of money back to the United States oh. from China, looking mm-hmm. to, to invest here as well. So that, I thought that was interesting. Uh, another link that I put in here was NACO Industries, their new investor presentation that you actually sent me last night. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you wanted to maybe comment on that a little bit. There's some new uh, additional disclosures, some stuff that we would like to that we did want to see. They actually put in uh, the presentation, which I thought was interesting. They disclosed how many acres they own of uh, oil and uh, mineral rights um, and and stuff along that. But did you do you have any sort of comment on that? Yeah, I mean, you can go to their website or to the sec.gov/edgar. Uh, um, there you go. And they had two things up. One's an annual report that they put out. And the other one is this investor relations presentation. So there's a few differences here. If we go to the first page, you'll see that they've added a new um, they added a new business segment. Minerals management is now called uh, Catapult. So they gave it a name. Um, and then you'll also see that they, when you go down to our operations, I guess, uh, they so there you can see Catapult listed there as if it's headquartered, I assume, in uh, Plano. I mean, they're, they're, North American Coal's headquarters is very close to me here, so I assume they're saying the same thing as where Catapult is. Um, and then if you go down further, I think we'll get them giving us uh, the, uh, if you go down to minerals management, I guess. So there's their safety record, which they've shown us tons of times. Uh, they did talk a little bit about um, uh, environmentals and the environmental stewardship thing that relates a little bit to the mitigation resources thing that they talked a little bit about in the annual report too, which was interesting. Um, but the big differences were, this is the same as before, so pass that slide. Um, and then let's see, Unique business these model. are all, yeah, these are the same ones that they've been doing historically. They did add here a footnote um, about Great River Energy um, mm-hmm. that, that they're considering uh, economic alternatives or whatever they said. And then uh, if you keep going, these are all similar lines to what we've seen before, but as you go, well, they talk a little bit about North American mining. We know that it's three times the size that it was about four years ago. It's grown at 30% a year. So it's grown a lot. They give detailed information on that. As you can see, it's almost all in Florida. 
Um, but if you keep going further, they have this information on Sawtooth. They do mention it's a management fee thing. That's not different. Here we go. Minerals management segment. Yep. Mm-hmm. So this is basically the same as before, except it includes some information like it says that they have 44,860 gross acres of oil and gas mineral interests. And they also mentioned that they're considering acquisitions of smaller mineral reserves with near-term cash flow yields. The annual report goes further on that. And then, like I said, they gave it a name. You can see there's catapult. Um, they also- Is that surprising to you that they have 44,860 acres of that? Did you think it would be more? Did you think it would be less? Tell me your uh, thoughts on that. I don't think that's a surprising number. Um, so it's hard to say what that's worth, of course. So, I mean, you could just do the math. So that's close to, that's close to 45,000 acres. So if you think, okay, well, an acre of um, oil and gas mineral interests are worth $100, then, you know, that's four and a half, that's four and a half million. If they're worth um, uh, $1,000 an acre, that would be, you know, 45 million. And if they're worth 10,000, that's 450 million. Well, I don't think they're worth 10,000 or 100. Um, I don't know how much closer to 100 than 1,000 they're worth or what, but it's in line with what you'd expect. This company made... I think uh, minerals management segment would have made on average after tax about um, a total of about $4 a share over the last two years, average at least $2 a share in earnings each of the last two years. So, you know, usually, I mean, that will decline tremendously, but usually something that made $2 on average over the last two years, so cumulatively $4 or $5 a share, um, isn't worth a lot less than that. And the stock is wherever it is, you know, not not very high. So I think that people will, when they doesn't have earnings, I think people will assume it's not worth that much. But you know, it, it's not. I wouldn't say it's different than what I expected. Um, they do also mention the majority is leased already. Um, that doesn't mean the majority is producing. Um, so that was interesting. They did also in the annual report at the pretty late in the chairman's letter, they mentioned something that I thought was worth looking at, which is um, or worth thinking about, which is they said that they are interested in buying additional mineral rights to diversify. So they might not just buy them in like Utica and stuff like that. And um, they specifically said that they have a strong balance sheet and cash flows and stuff, whereas um, other buyers might be financially stressed at this time, which is something that I mentioned before, which I think is very true now <laughs> because the coronavirus stuff, it's gotten even more so that way with, um, it was already that way in Utica with, um, with natural gas. But I think it's become more that way with the declines you've seen in oil and stuff. So there's not a lot of other options to sell to other than them, probably in some places. So mm-hmm. it's an opportunity for them to buy a lot that way. And then if you go to like the end of the presentation, they did also include some other stuff. Um, they do talk about mitigation resources of North America, which we don't know much about, except they said they hope it to eventually become a big, uh, a sizable business for them. It's not now. And... Um, this is after the why invest in NACO part. So a little bit further from that, they'll talk, they'll use the capacity for growth there that they talk about that. Um, this is the part that was interesting. So they have returned capital shareholders. They mentioned two things. They mentioned they paid dividends since 1956 in an earnings call. The CEO said how long he thought they paid. And I think he used a number like that. He thought it was about then. And then they also include this number, which is interesting, which is the cumulative share repurchases since 2011. That's a cumulative number. So you can see they actually bought a lot between 2012 and 2015, and they bought very little back for the last four years. So over the entire period, they bought back like $12.5 million worth of stock, which would be a very big amount on the current market cap. And they also had a period, but they basically had a period where they bought net about $20 million a year, and then they had a period where they bought back almost nothing. The share counts slightly increased over time. 
uh, since we've owned the stock. So they mentioned share buybacks for a reason, probably. And I, I think that they're likely to consider buying back stock if it gets to a low price and they would do it in big amounts, but they're not going to buy back stock consistently over time. So I thought it was interesting that, you know, that slide too. Mm -hmm. Got it. I did think that was interesting as well. Um, one thing that I also thought was interesting. So everything, obviously Bill Ackman was in the news a couple days ago and actually really just since this whole crash has happened and he sent out a letter to his investors saying that he took off their hedges and the hedge that they had for $27 million originally mm -hmm. that they placed, they, it generated proceeds of $2.6 billion for Pershing. I mean, a total 100-bagger on his hedges. I thought mm -hmm. that, was, uh, that was pretty interesting. And a lot of people, of course, were upset because they felt like he went on TV and quote-unquote was crying about stuff. And those are people's words, not mine. Okay. And, um, you know, scared the market took off his hedges and then redeployed that capital. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I thought I was kind of surprised that people were throwing as many digs at him as they were. I understood everything he was saying. I don't think he was trying to be manipulative or anything like that. I thought what he was saying was good. Actually, I really did. Um, I'm too afraid to tweet that out because people jumped on my throat. <laughs> but I, I mean, if you listen to the, you or to the CNBC interview, I thought everything he said was quite sincere, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's just uh, that's just my opinion. So uh, let's move on. Okay, what's the best investment Warren Buffett can make right now? This is an email that somebody had sent in to you, mm -hmm. and your answer was, "I can imagine everything from convertible preferred stock to save companies in the hotel and travel industries." to just going out into the market and buying some wide moat mega caps. So tell me your thoughts, Jeff, on some stocks that you think Warren Buffett could purchase right now. Well, I thought that's a very hard question to answer. He's been very quiet, by the way, very quiet. No one has heard anything. That's true. Um, I think it's a very hard question to answer because the thing is he did, in a financial crisis, he did put some money out there to work. He maybe put it out too quickly but he put money out to work to bail some companies out in a sense. Um, but they needed financial aid more than, their, uh, than they had economic problems. This is a little bit different. Um, usually the best things for Berkshire would be if the stocks stayed lower for longer so he could buy more of them. Because generally companies aren't going to you know, offer to sell themselves for anywhere near their market caps right now. So if a stock fell 40 or 50%, that doesn't mean the price to buy the whole company fell 40 or 50%. It didn't. The company is not going to offer itself to sell to you at a much of a different price than it had before this started. So it's more about buying individual stocks. So he's kind of at a disadvantage compared to people who have smaller portfolios because they can go and just buy these stocks. He has the problem that he has to invest, could be up to $100 billion. You know, um, you can only put $100 billion into a trillion dollar stock if you want to put it all in one stock. If you want to even put it in 20 different stocks, you still need to find stocks that probably are like, you know, $50 billion stocks and up. So he has a very small pool that he can fish in. Um, I talked about how he could buy anything there. Even I wouldn't be surprised if he bought things like Google and Facebook and stuff if they got really cheap. But uh, in that email, I said that I think they would have to be 30 or 40% cheaper. And some of those may have even risen a little bit since I wrote that email. So I think they'd have to be a lot cheaper. Um, I definitely imagine him doing some of, like I said, the preferred stock type things. I would expect he's buying junk bonds now. Uh, he's done that in all the past recessions. 
And uh, I would be surprised if they're if Berkshire isn't buying meaningful amounts of junk bonds. They're normally like not in bonds at all uh, compared to other insurers. Something he's involved with, Occidental Petroleum. Yes. Uh, Carl, Carl Icahn came out today. I think he's going to be designated three board members, I think, to the mm-hmm. company, something like that. Let's see what that was. I saw that come across the tape earlier today. Man, why does Yahoo Finance always, like, I got, like, I'm infested with viruses or something because I my search engine is usually Google, and then okay. sometimes it just randomly changes to um that's I'm having technical difficulties <laughs> right now <laughs> to Yahoo. I just, I don't understand what's going on. Uh, let's see what's going on right here. Actually, let's see. Uh, people, I was reading some of the comments. It, it sounded like people, they enjoyed my, um, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, me going crazy, maybe on, okay. on, on the on the podcast. My, maybe me being a little bit more honest or a little bit more. Uh, your political of, of a, of a, Maybe. Me being a little <laughs> more of a lunatic and then you're just the rational guy and i'm just the crazy guy let's see what do you do all right that was two days ago but anyways i wonder what's going on with this investment occidental it's a troubled investment so we'll see what goes on with it but yeah buffett has not had a lot of success in um investing in commodity related companies that's been a big problem for him historically so he did make a lot of money on petrochina and but a lot of his investments in things, even if we go back 40 years and stuff, when he bought some Exxon and stuff, the, uh, and he bought some aluminum companies and stuff, um, that's not a really strong area for him. He, uh-huh. he has not done great investing in oil companies or investing in other companies tied to commodity prices. Um, he may sometimes make investments in companies when their prices are a little uh, too high. Um, he definitely did that uh, closer to a decade or so ago in companies that where the oil prices were high and he bought into them. And here, you know, oil prices will get pretty low probably. Um, do, you, do you think he'd ever be interested in in buying Disney? Yeah, I do think he'd that. buy Disney. I think I said there, I, if I, I don't know if I put it this bluntly. Yeah, I did put it that bluntly. I think, um, so he owned Cap Cities and then Cap Cities was merged into Disney. I think his reason for not buying Disney when it was cheap, the last time it was cheap, is that he didn't want to buy it when Michael Eisner was running it. And then it wasn't that cheap when Bob Iger was running it. But I think it was a management issue. So I don't know if he's going to like the new management and stuff. But I think in the later years of Eisner, he wasn't that wild about the uh, the direction of the company. You think Bob Iger has uh, pretty good timing with it, announcing his retirement before all this happened? Well, he'll have an amazing record because of that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the start date and the end date are very important in records of you know how a stock did under you and stuff. So yeah. that, that would definitely be true, yeah. Yeah, because that was I thought that was kind of odd. Um, what else we got here? You think that he would be interested in UPS or FedEx? I think you yeah, said Starbucks, yeah. McDonald's, yeah. potentially McDonald's. Sure, but a lot of these things aren't cheap. I could think of lots of stocks that he might buy. I mean, I, I'm, I, um, but they just don't look that cheap to me. So it looks hard for me to imagine Berkshire making a lot of investments that aren't distressed investments. He could buy things in banks. I don't know. Some of them are pretty cheap and he could buy them, but he has some regulatory issues there. Um, if they're going to be big deals, they're probably going to be things, like I said, like convertible preferred stock and things where companies go to him to have assistance. Uh, I think if this goes on for a long time, uh, a recession, I mean, goes on for a long time, a bear market, not anything having to do with the virus particularly, yes or no, um, then he will make a lot of investments. But I think given how quickly this has happened, it's kind of hard to put a lot of money to work in a short amount of time unless you have distressed companies coming to you. So 
I don't know. I mean, I mentioned things like Boeing and stuff. I'm sure people ask him to do something about Boeing. <laughs> I'm sure that he gets calls, you know, I mean, I'm not sure, but I suspect that one of the first things people in government and at Boeing and stuff think is, okay, well, why don't we get someone like that to put in a lot of money? It's less politically, uh, it's, it's less of a PR problem for us. It would make us look better and it could get capital in and stuff. Uh, he owns a lot of airlines. He has a lot of money. So, you know, I'm sure companies like that who know that they need a bailout would go to him uh, as seeing at least to lead, you know, to be the first one to put money in and then maybe others will come in because I'm sure a lot of companies are trying to avoid making it look like they're getting bailed out by the government. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I thought was interesting was you think that he'd be interested. In, well, Google, for example, I know he would be interesting because he's always said that he missed Google, um, but Facebook and Amazon. Yeah. And you, you think that he'd be interested in that. So one thing that I wanted to go over for our stocks for the day is talking about FANG stocks. Yeah. Um, because obviously that was uh, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, and Google, or Alphabet. Um, mm. And a lot of people have been interested in it. And, you know, uh, Google at 20 times earnings, a lot of people could probably make the case that that's getting probably pretty interesting. So I just wanted to see if you had any you know, thoughts on uh, the FANG stocks. And, you know, quite honestly, Google, for example, right, when you've spoken in these past podcasts of the types of companies that you would want to focus on, mm -hmm. you said that companies that could technically survive whatever's going to come. So probably yes. companies that don't have debt, have a ton of cash and be able to take advantage of that. And Google's right on that list. Yeah, um, every, everyone you know, on Apple that is on yeah. that list. Facebook is on that list. So I'm just like, I wonder if the argument of, you know, these companies that are, going to be able to survive during downturns is going to change going forward because you have Facebook that has a ton of cash. I don't know if they have that. I don't think they have that, but don't quote me on that. Apple has, obviously everyone knows, a, a ton of cash. And then Google that has a ton of cash and no debt themselves. So I'm just kind of curious to see if that whole you know story is going to change going forward for you know Ben Graham types that would never touch these companies for whatever reason. Um, and then, of course, Google at you know getting close to twenty times earnings, I think, is probably pretty interesting. Yeah, so I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that. Well, they're they're safe. Uh, put as Netflix aside, all the others are financial. Yeah, ne Netflix trash. has their their balance sheet is. This I, is a different I, story, I, yeah. I think it's trash. Yeah, we could put that in the trash pile. Okay, go on. Oh, that was Apple. <laughs> um, now I think people so so they're much safer than people think. Okay, or they're much safer than they were in the past, but. Well, what do you mean were in the past? When were they not safe? Uh, so Amazon, Google, Apple, Facebook? When customer habits were not as uh, – hadn't been as consistent for as long. So are we talking like pre-08? Uh, depends on the company, but yes. Yeah. I mean Apple, yes. A Apple – their safety in Apple is only in the last, you know, I don't know, seven, eight years at most or something. Apple was not necessarily a very safe stock in the first few years of having success with the iPhone because you would have had to predict that people would continue to only use the iPhone and not sure, any other phones. The they had tons habits. of competitors. Yeah, yeah, they had tons of competitors. So you didn't know if Apple was going to... Apple is reliable for people, uh, people replacing an Apple phone with another Apple phone in a way that Ford and uh, GM and stuff aren't with cars. If it had been the other way and it had been more like cars, then it wouldn't be a very safe company. So, you know, uh, we know that now. Um, on the other hand, in terms of their earnings, I expect it to be worse than people think on these companies compared to the past. So 
I think um, these are very safe companies and I think they'll do fine. And I think that in many cases they'll do fine even compared to the S&P 500's earnings generally. However, this is one area, these stocks, that I, um, I haven't talked a lot about this, but I think that there's a lot of, not a lot of, there is everything I've read so far about economic expectations for people is unrealistic about coming out of the virus. Um, no, I haven't read any, any um, guidance from analysts and things in the future that I believe are kind of actually likely to be the numbers we'll see. So I think that people are Let's not, unpack that. What are you talking okay. about? The GDP numbers that they're projecting for this year. So you the, think that it's going to be worse? Yes, than what people are expecting. Uh, people, if you look at what, I mean, what guidance still is from where they're putting out, you know, where they're putting out estimates of what GDP will be this year for the full year. It's pretty high for a lot of, uh, compared to what I think is likely. I mean, we'll see. But, you know, I saw an estimate that China will still grow 3% this year. That, that, I mean, it could if the government does a lot, but, you know, without that, it won't. Um, things are going to contract. This is not, we'll see. But, you know, uh, Bill Gates talked about how you'd have to shut things down for six to 10 weeks. Um, and we talked about with the Ackman thing that I said, yeah, he said shut down for a month. And I said, yeah, the math on the virus seems to be you'd want to shut down for more like two months, which is like six mm -hmm. to 10 weeks. That's actually you, verbatim, verbatim that what you said. Good job, John. Yeah. Okay. You can't. You can't shut an economy down for six to 10 weeks and then start it back up again. So that may work to stop the virus. But, but what about the pent up demand? <laughs> the pent yeah. up demand that's going to shoot up like a rocket ship that no one has ever seen before. Pent up well, demand. Some of that's true. There will be pent like up a slingshot. Demand. There'll be pent up demand. But some of the things I'm hearing, like, so when I'm saying this stuff, I'm not interested in the macroeconomic things. I'm not studying that. What I'm looking at is specific things that I'm seeing with people saying about companies. And that doesn't sound right to me. So an example of this, a really good example is I keep seeing things where people are talking about companies that lease stuff or that are landlords. I mean, lease stuff out or that are landlords. Like, you know, you operate a mall or you operate a, a commercial real estate or something or like around where I live. There's a landlord, which is the landlord for all of the um, all of the little shops and things, which are restaurants and stuff. Well, in these write ups that I'm seeing and discussion boards and things, people think that those landlords are going to get paid. They're not going to get paid. If you are running a store of any kind and you closed for the month, yeah. you're going to tell your landlord, I'm not paying you. So now you, you actually, this, this was my topic, Jeff, right? So okay. they're going to give cash to all Americans. And this is why, like the other day when I was saying to you, I'm like, I just don't understand where this 180 degree change happened, right? And my theory is, is that they realize they're going to give all this money to Americans, but what the hell are they going to do with this money, right? How is it going to stimulate the economy? If everything's closed, if every restaurant's closed, if everyone's not paying, you know what I'm saying? What are people going to do with this money? How is that going to stimulate the economy? Yeah, and it's it's a big issue. I mean, it can stimulate. I mean, they can go to supermarkets. They can go to Target and stuff. But even Target, yeah, but that's gave, it. Yeah, but even Target gave a warning, which I think people needed to hear, which is that I've seen what it looks like at these stores. Their earnings are not going to be as good as you expect at Target and Costco and Walmart and stuff. They're having significant changes in their sales mix, and it's not all positive. I mean, when I went to Costco, for instance, they were completely wiped out of um, pork. Well, Costco pork is $1.79 a pound. <laughs> Costco needs to sell some TVs and stuff, not just pork. <laughs> you know, yeah. the fact that there's a lot of people in there buying bleach, Costco doesn't make a lot of money on bleach and stuff, you know? Yeah, there's so, not a lot of people hoarding TVs and Xboxes and stuff right, right now. 
I think what Target said is like they're not selling clothing except for pajamas and stuff. Yeah. You know, they're they're not selling any of the clothing that they normally make good margins on. Things like Walmart. Walmart doesn't have an amazing grocery operation compared to actual supermarkets. So the way it can price things that way is because people will also buy while they're there. They're going to buy that Hamilton Beach uh, crock pot and they're going to buy that, uh, you know, the clothes that they have and the private label things that Walmart has and the countless other things that they have much better margins on. Is that where and, you get your T-shirts, the flannels from? No, all the flannels I get are from JCPenney's store. Ah, okay. Because they're, they're, um, they make tall sizes. Got it. You are tall. Yeah. You are tall. So Walmart, I bought things from Walmart for $7 uh, for their shirts. They work well one time. <laughs> they look fine one time. If you wash yeah, them, you wash they'll them never look good terrible. again. Yeah, they're yeah. terrible. So I won't <laughs> buy store brand things. But um, yeah, so I think that there's just some ex- – so, so for instance, I think there's some stuff that's concerning me in that there's kind of denial with people about the economic realities here. So it, you can't shut things down for some amount of time. It's like um, – take the, the landlord example is a really good example. They have contracts in place that they have to get paid. But realistically, let's say you operate a mall or something and your your anchor tenants, the mall right here, their anchor, uh, some of the key things that they have and that they love to have are an AMC uh, and a Cheesecake Factory and a Dave and Buster's. Those are three of the things that they probably were excited that they got, you know, 10 years before, whatever, they didn't have them. Now those are their favorite tenants probably instead of, you know, Sears that was there. So when they have those, they think they're getting paid. Now, if those companies believe this is a temporary shutdown of two weeks or something in whatever um, state they're in, or they think they're shutting their company down for two weeks, they will continue to pay with no problems. But if they honestly believe, if someone tells them we are shutting down everything for 10 weeks, you won't have any Cheesecake Factories open, any Dave and Busters, any movie theaters, they will not pay their landlord. And their landlord will say, you know, I mean, investors of the, in the landlord will say, well, we have contracts in place, they have to pay us. And you'll get paid eventually, but I would think you will be in bankruptcy at the time that they settle those claims yeah. because you don't have the cash to, to take care of all this. So you will need protection from your creditors because remember, the mall and stuff has creditors too. So in each stage here, unless there's an organized way of doing this, you know, if you sent money to businesses, let's say instead of individuals, if you said, okay, we're going to pay every, all businesses rent or something like that, then you stop this from happening. But otherwise, they have to modify these loans themselves. They have to figure out some way in which someone cannot make payments for a while. You don't impair the loan and you don't throw people into bankruptcy and stuff. I mean, the reason for bankruptcy is to do an orderly way of taking care of these things. You're going to have a lot of companies which would theoretically be um, worth a lot more than the debt that they have. So their enterprise value is sufficient to have value left for the um, shareholders, but they're going to default on things. So you have to have a way working out between them to work out those defaults. And I'm sure already that there's lots of companies, even pretty big companies, contacting their landlords and saying, look, we're not going to pay. In addition, there may be some people talking to their bankers and saying, look, we're not going to pay. And let's figure out a way with given regulations and things. And they've changed some stuff for banks where maybe we don't have to pay for a little while and you don't have to uh, take this as as a charge off yet or anything, you know. Um, you may be able to say that this, you know, is uh, this will show up as being past due or whatever, but this isn't going to show up as hurting your capital and stuff like that. And there may be changes to regulations and stuff to help them do that. But my point is just that I don't think it's realistic, the things that we're seeing. I mean, because we have some anecdotal stuff from other countries 
and drop-offs and things. And these drop-offs are the most severe ever in terms of how sharp they are, how quick they are in things like electricity demand and things like whatever else um, in many things that people expect to be totally predictable. So the severity of this will be way beyond anything that I'm seeing projected. And so that creates a problem. And I mentioned that just specifically with companies like um, Facebook and Google and Apple and stuff too. Um, Amazon is probably getting a lot of ordering of stuff that's okay for them. But what's happening is their business models are being changed in ways that aren't necessarily all that profitable to them. So I think that people are seeing a lot of people will be using Facebook and Google and think they're going to make a lot of money. But advertisers aren't going to want to do it because they don't want to spend on advertising. And obviously, another thing we should point out, no one will want an ad to run next to a coronavirus story or most uh, legitimate stuff won't want to. There'll be some illegitimate stuff that wants to play into those scares and things. But these companies generally want to ban that kind of stuff. But like... Um, you know, you're not going to see, Coke doesn't want to be advertised next to uh, coronavirus stories. And everything that people are looking at is coronavirus <laughs> stories. So, you know, that's a problem that these companies are going to have. So I, I just, I think they're very safe compared to most companies. They have a ton of cash and everything. And I'm not saying that there's anything um, bad about them that people are misjudging compared to all the other companies out there. I just think that across the board, there's severe misjudgment of what the economic situation is going to look like and how badly it's going to affect these companies. Now, there's no credit risk at all at those companies up there. But to think that their advertising revenues aren't gonna decline, I think is unrealistic. They're, you're gonna see a recession in online advertising. Wow, that's a pretty bold prediction there, Jeffrey. Well, I, well, we'll see, but I, I mean, look at this. I mean, think about it. Don't tell Fintwit that you're saying this. <laughs> No, but, just, but, but I mean, think about how much their audience is going to increase and how much less they're going to be able to monetize that audience. If they were going to be able to get the same rates that they were getting before and, and serve the same number of ads per person, then if their traffic is way up, their audience is way up, then they should be saying, oh, we're going to, if, if our traffic, if our audience at whatever is up uh, 50%, then we're going to make 50% more in advertising revenue. They're not. That's not going to happen. So there's severe drop-offs in amount of revenue per audience member that they have. That's going to be severe, like, you know, per eyeball that they have, it's going to decline a lot. And uh, because they're ad supported, you know, I mean, uh -huh. Amazon's different, you know, and Apple's a little complicated. I don't know what's going to happen with Apple because obviously Apple on the one hand is all stuff you can defer and uh, it's easy to very easy to put off and things like that. So we'll see what happens with them. These are mature companies for the most part. Now, some aren't that mature. I think Amazon is different from the rest of this bunch, to be honest. So what does one do? Well, we mostly just are waiting, to be honest. Uh, I keep looking for things, for opportunities to buy stuff. And for the most part, the difference in risk that I see, um, I mean, just to give an example, a, you did an Excel thing across the management. Do you account. not think this is a, a bottom, assuming we bottom, do you not think this is a bottom where we just rally back to all-time highs like we had? And now, of course, one day you're going to get there. It's for people saying, oh, yeah, you're going to get back to all-time highs. But I'm saying, like, the past 10 year, or 11 years, do you think this time is different? Yeah. Zero yeah. percent interest rates, massive stimulus, unlimited liquidity by the Fed. You think uh, look, it's time? I, I don't know, but I, I know that many numbers are going to be... Many numbers will be as bad as the Great Depression. Some numbers will be worse than the Great Depression. So the Great Depression lasted a really long time, which is a problem with it. 
but the initial impact of this is not going to be less than the first part of the Great Depression. Now, Do you agree with the Fed being able to intervene in the markets? Because it, it does seem like it's capitalism on the way up and socialism on the way down. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the original purpose of the Fed. I mean, not necessarily to it, it, it get involved in markets, but to deal with panics. I mean, that was the original purpose of the Fed. Um, it wasn't so much to deal with um, price levels or employment levels. The original purpose was to deal with all the panics that they had, because panics were pretty common before the Fed um, was created. Uh, you know, so you had a series of panics in the 1800s and then pretty famously about 10 years or so before, 10 years before the Fed was created, uh, 10 years, anyway, five to 10 years before uh, World War One and the Fed being created and stuff, you had a pretty sizable panic too. So this is similar to those. I mean, that's the part that's different. 2008 and this are the only real panics that I would say we've had. And that was very common pre-Fed. And after World War II, you didn't really have any panics. Recessions were very different. That's the thing. So this recession will be more like 2008 and 1929 in that this was not in any way created by the Fed. This wasn't intentional. They didn't they, think that things were over. This is just a panic. 1929 was a panic. 2008 was a panic. This is a panic. Um, so those are together in a way that none of the other recessions since uh, World War II are, I think, really relevant. I don't think that any of the other recessions are like relevant data points for what's going to happen this time. Um, none of the other recessions ever had a leg down that's going to be as severe as, I mean, not even remotely close. If you go and look at the normal top to bottom in GDP for recessions, and you can find this on Wikipedia and places like that, I'm sure, um, they'll give you how high unemployment rose to and what the total decline over the entire recession was from peak to bottom in GDP. We will hit those things for all those recessions and we'll hit them almost instantly. So this is not that. Now, there were things like this that happened pre-Fed all the time. Uh, not all the time, but remarkably common. So very sharp drops and very sharp recoveries happen outside of panics a lot. And pre-central um, banks, that was a pretty common sort of thing. Cycles were shorter, the declines were sharper, and the recoveries were sharper. So I'm not saying that this won't be a really sharp recovery. I'm just saying that I'm not seeing any expectations from people that I think match reality in terms of uh, how severe this how severe this initial decline part is going to be. Well, we should know more tomorrow, right? Because the job number is coming out at 8.30 Eastern. Yeah, I don't want to predict so anyone. You'll be, you'll be asleep, but <laughs> I'll, I'll be awake. I'm, uh, when I start introducing this podcast, I'm going to say, good morning, Jeff Gannon. How are we doing today? <laughs> How'd you sleep? Did you sleep well? Did you have any good dreams? Did you have a nightmare? So, I mean... Uh, I cut you off, by the way. You were no. going somewhere, and people may be upset because maybe they wanted to hear what you're about to say. I knew what you're about to say. Probably not after what I've been saying. But no, my point no, no. is just, I don't no. want to talk about, like, oh, am I predicting that there will be a depression or there will be a recession, there will so be I, this or that. But back up your thinking. You were about to say, across all the managed accounts. Go ahead, proceed. Oh, across all, across all the managed accounts. So across all the managed accounts, our median um, holding in cash is like 40%. Now, I don't like holding cash, so I would be happy to buy it. That while, I mean, I mean, not a while, but like the whole way down. Not saying we haven't lost, uh, we haven't gone down with the market, but it's been 40% for at least it's what? The last thing we sold was three. And, we, yeah, we oh, haven't yeah. changed things in about two or three weeks. Uh -huh. So you can do the math on that of what that means. But um, so, yeah, we haven't sold things in the last couple of weeks, but we also haven't bought things in the last couple of weeks. So certainly we haven't bought or sold anything in two weeks unless you're a new account. So um, there's been no change in allocations that way. So why is that happening? 
we have cheap things that I, or we have things that I like. Um, in general, it's because on a case by case company basis, the values of those companies have declined substantially in terms of their, uh, particularly in terms of the risks at that company. Um, it, it's pretty meaningful. So, you know, all the companies that I like, I've marked down in my head in terms of the intrinsic value by a pretty meaningful amount. And that markdown is not in many cases all that different than the markdown in the overall market. So while a lot of people are saying that these are attractive levels to buy at, uh, I don't see that generally. I don't see that the decline in the stock market is exceeding my expected decline in the, the longer term earning power of a lot of these companies. On a company by company basis, it's different. But say, you know, banks or something, they have been harmed in a way that now they fall in some banks have fallen a lot more than the S&P 500. But certainly banks earning power has been harmed to the extent that the S&P 500 has declined. Uh, if I had if you gave me a portfolio of bank stocks to say, what's the what's your appraisal of this? I would mark it down by more than 30 percent, probably from where it was before because of the change in the economic situation from everything from yields to um, credit losses and things like that, that would be expected and, and just slow growth, um, you know, overall. I mean, we may have a very sharp V, but when you factor in the decline that you have, the overall growth is not going to be that good for a lot of these companies. So, you know, I, I'm not seeing a lot of things where I'm excited. I'm not seeing a lot of stocks where I think the value is the same and yet they've dropped by a ton, um, which is somewhat different from 2008, where there were some companies where I did not I would not think that their value would have changed as much as it did this time. Um, I think it's very, very possible. Well, I don't want to say very, very possible. It's possible that what we'll see here is not as bad as the uh, after the 2008 recession or something. But there's certainly risks here for some companies that are greater than there were at that time. Because at that time, if you weren't very exposed to financial risk, uh, if you had a great balance sheet, and you generally weren't involved in that sort of thing, you know, if you were a restaurant, a movie theater, whatever, and you had a very solid balance sheet, we knew you were going to come out of it. We knew that uh, people would start coming back to those things. Uh, here is a lot more complicated about that. I mean, the, the financial position of businesses is very, very poor now compared to 2008. So when I say that I'm like worried about things, I'm not worried about financial system stuff. I'm not worried about households. What I'm worried about is a business recession, which is, you know, when I talk about these panics and things from 100 years and plus ago, those are what, how, what, how it happens. It happens as business recessions. Businesses get, have too much debt. They get worried about some things. They cut back on their capital spending. They fire a lot of people. They do all sorts of things to try to shore up their balance sheets and stuff and uh, get through a crisis for them to survive. And there are a lot of businesses that are going to be doing that. I mean, I didn't put it in the uh, thing that I sent to you just because we have so many things to talk about. But an example is that just the other day, Landry's, the restaurant, and they own like one casino or something group, um, said that they had fired 40,000 people. That's uh, for, for Tata? Or what's his yeah. last name? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's his name? Yep. What's his name? Yeah. That owns the, uh, who is he on the, Houston. is it Houston? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Listen, if for, for people curious, listen to that guy on like podcasts and stuff. I think he's, he speaks really well. I, I like him a lot. I really do. He was a public company. They were public. And then he, he yes. took the company private because he said he hated being public he's you know he didn't want to deal with analysts and you know expectation yeah. like all that sort of stuff he just said i did not like being private or public at all so he took the company yeah. private and they had offered to buy arc at 22 dollars a share and now arc's at you know whatever but uh anyway they fired all those people now of course they have some debt because they're private i mean 
public companies have debt too sometimes, but I'm sure that they have a meaningful amount of debt because they would have to um, to do that, to buy the things that they've been buying and stuff. But so that's part of it. If you have debt, that's an extra issue for you. But they're, they, I think he said that they're um, when their restaurants do takeout business, they're doing five to 10% of their normal sales. So even in cases where they're open, there's no point in being open. Yeah. You'd be financially, you'd be better off if you just closed it. Five to ten percent doing takeout business or curbside or whatever isn't covering your bills. You said so, they lay off forty thousand people. I think that's what he said. Forty thousand. So what do you? Yeah. What are your expectations? That's aren't full time equivalent employees and stuff. Those are what, forty thousand actual people. Yeah. What are your expectations for tomorrow? I don't want to predict a one time job number because I don't know what happens in this one versus other ones. But I, I would this the amount of unemployment i mean when you a long time ago you asked you said something like oh they're planning one trillion dollar stimulus now it's you know two trillion or whatever and i said something like I, well i would think you'd want triple that amount or something now just so people understand the math behind that i was saying triple and i'm not a macroeconomist okay but i was saying triple on the estimate not of any shutdowns i was saying triple on the estimate that about maybe around 8% of US GDP is directly exposed to this. Now you can do different calculations, but when we're talking restaurants and travel, you know, the airlines, the cruise lines, the restaurants, the hotels, whatever, I kind of added up what I could of that. I figure what that would be, how long that would be, and then not factoring in things like the knock-on effects of who would get into trouble with that and stuff. You know, I was talking off air to Andrew about a bank. I'm not gonna mention the name of the bank, but there was some sign that I noticed that the bank seemed to be distressed in some way. It probably had to do with just a small part of the bank that was involved in aircraft stuff. Most of the bank had nothing to do with that. Most people at the bank probably never thought about that, but that might be causing some stress at the company, at the bank now. So um, there are things that, that ripple from that. And so, uh, and I also assumed with that stimulus thing, when I said maybe triple the one trillion, that it would actually get spent. Now, do I really believe that some people won't try to save it? You know, that's an interesting question. If people are really on the edge of not being able to uh, survive and stuff, as many surveys and things say that people don't have any savings and stuff, and they'll immediately go out and spend something like that. Well, if they do that, they may spend it. But again, they might just go and buy pork at Costco. That's not incredibly stimulative to an economy. We won't get into all the math of this. But if you go out and buy pork at Costco, in this, if total the amount of all people going out and buying some, some necessities at Costco and Walmart and stuff does not have the same effect on the economy of everyone going out and buying houses and cars. It doesn't. A short-term thing that you consume right now does not have the same um, multiplying effects across an economy. That's a big part of like Boeing and the cruise lines that I mentioned a lot is people may be kind of relaxed about, oh, what if the cruise lines fail? But the cruise lines are incredibly stimulative in certain specific places where you operate ports to support them or where you build the actual ships. Like there's some towns that have shipyards that are heavily um, like they, the suppliers feed into it. There's tons of employees and stuff. There's only a few of them around the world. It's kind of like how Detroit works with cars, you know? Yeah. But are they even, is, is, uh, our cruise liners, for example, uh, are they even qualified to be bailed out because are they even like us reporting companies? I mean, you, we've spoken about their taxes before it's, it's different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll see if people Royal if, Caribbean. Yeah, and we'll see if countries want to bail them out. And it also has a very complicated issue that, like I said, who would want to bail them out? On the one hand, like Miami wants them bailed out. There's a port in New Jersey that wants them bailed out. Specific states really want them bailed out, I'm sure, in the U.S. But the cruise ships are actually built to other places in the world, like uh, Europe or Korea or something. So those countries will uh, – there will be some mayors of certain towns and stuff in those countries who say, 
oh, we really need to bail out the cruise lines. But of course, their governments won't want to do it. So you run into that problem in lots of different things. Same thing with theme parks. Theme parks are another great example. Theme parks are something that a lot of people will say, well, just let a theme park fail. Who cares? Now, if you let a theme park fail, get taken over by its creditors and it's operated well, not a big deal. But if your state allows a major theme park to actually go to go dark, to not operate at all next season, the season after that and after that, the loss to revenue in that specific area of your state is devastating because theme parks leak so much um, money out in the surrounding area. I mean, Walt Disney World, Walt Disney's not going to fail, but Walt Disney World does not just make a bunch of money in that area. It supports an economy all around it based on the existence of Walt Disney World. And that's true in a lot of different um, states. And so, you know, the same thing happens with casinos and other things too. There's a significant amount of business around them, both from the fact that you have a lot of employees there and from the fact that you have a lot of people spending a lot of money there. And it will make big differences. So when I talk about things like the cruise lines and stuff too, well, I guess not what worries me, but what I see more of a problem with is if you put debt on them, for instance, that gets you through the initial part of the problem here, but it does create depression-like conditions in that particular industry. There's only three companies that, that buy most of the cruise ships, but by, by far most of the cruise ships. And these are big items. I mean, they're paying anywhere from a few hundred million to over a billion dollars per ship. So they're not going to spend that if they have a ton of debt on them. And if bailouts for a lot of different companies come in the form of debt they have to repay, then you don't get a V recovery from that. The same thing would be true even with things like landlords and stuff like that. When we're talking about like, okay, well, if they don't pay rent, what happens? Well, if you just say, okay, well, you have to pay, you know, you have debt that compounds at 10% a year that you have to pay me back or something for the mispayment. You know, if you get things back up and running quickly, that's okay. And that kind of punitive debt is fine. But if not, that is, uh, it creates debt problems, which create growth problems for all sorts of companies, which means that all the companies try to tighten their belts, you know? So I'm just saying, realistically, we'll see what happens. But if you stress companies out in the way that a 10 week shutdown, let's use that example as an extreme example, would severely stress them, then it's not that initial stress, which is the problem, although that will cause huge unemployment and stuff. It's that they will then tighten their belt. They will then try everything possible to survive, stay solvent, pay their bills, and they won't be thinking about growing. So, you know, that's how this happens. This has happened many times in the past, long ago past, that a panic can either develop into not a really big deal, or a panic can develop into recession and depression type situations. And it's really the secondary kinds of things that happen after you first, it's the, it's the attempts to get back to health that cause the problem. It's the attempts of these companies to get back to financial health after they've been devastated. That's, that's the problem. We, no matter what happens, airlines, cruise lines, hotels, restaurants, um, you know, casinos, whatever, are going to be in very bad shape coming out of this. And so you can tell them, like, just try to bring everyone in and try to grow and whatever. But a lot of them are going to be thinking, let's try not to default. Let's try to Wait, survive. Let's try to make what payroll. companies, what company, what industries did you just name? Can you say that again? I said, what did I say? Cruise lines, airlines, what did uh, I say? Well, to take the, I was going with airlines, hotels, and casinos. I was like, hmm, three industries. Interesting. 
that yeah. our that our president was in. Hey, did you know I'm uh, I'm growing my beard out until this whole thing is over? I actually oh. have a, I actually have a uh, my beard is longer than yours right now. Okay. No, it's it's actually not. I'm kidding, but I am growing it out. So I'm I'm hoping by the end of this that it is as long as yours, and then we'll get on the podcast and we'll do our, our old our old setting, and it's gonna uh-huh. be perfect. It's gonna be great. So, yeah. So. There will be stocks that you can find <laughs> and, and opportunities to buy things here. I'm not saying that. I just think that um, just like in the very beginning of virus stuff, there might have been some unrealistic things said about how quickly this will pass and stuff. I think we have no idea how quickly things will recover. That part is totally uncertain. So when I say things like, could this turn into a long-term problem or not? I have no idea if it will turn into a long-term problem or not. But we have a very good idea of how steep the short-term problem will be. And it's a lot steeper drop than what I'm hearing from like currently what expectations are. Now, I think the market's expectations are obviously already priced in different from like what predictions are. So you'll see economists and stuff greatly lower their their kinds of things later. And that happens all the time. Analysts do that too. Their earnings estimates always, right? When a stock's earnings go down, they slowly in a series of different cuts um, lower their guidance for the company. And you know, you'll see that too with economic things. It'll kind of lag or whatever. But uh, we haven't had any economic data in the U.S. Um, really that incorporates any of this uh, in a meaningful way until, I guess, the jobs number that we'll have. That'll be the very first thing that we get that has any e- small part of this, you know, in in it. And that's really just the ve- that was the very beginning of any sort of panic. Really, was what that number will show you. Yeah, and I think we'll get a good view of that tomorrow. So it'll definitely be interesting. So, um, Jeff. Maybe uh, stay up, stay up extra late, and then you could see, and then go to bed, and then we'll talk about it on the podcast later on. Okay, perfect. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself on today's podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, thumbs video up, bringing you five podcasts a week, Monday through Friday. Follow me on Twitter at Focus Compound, and then of course leave us a rating review. That goes a very long way. If you're listening on the podcast side, Jeff, I want to thank you. Good job out you today. His name is Jeff Gannon. My name is Andrew Kuhn. Thank you so much to everybody that's following along. Um, It definitely makes it a lot more enjoyable. And we will see you in tomorrow's podcast.